Hello, everyone, and welcome to Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Bizarro, and today I have with me my co-host, my significant other, and my business partner, Deborah Mikus. Hello. And today we'll be interviewing Andy from Byron Herbal Teas uh, from Macon, Georgia. Andy, would you like Hi. to introduce yourself and tell us all about your product? Sure. So my name is Andy Barone, and um, we have Barone Herbal Teas. We're located in Macon, Georgia, and we sell herbal blacks and green teas that we blend ourselves. And um, we have a commercial kitchen that we attach to our house. We restored a historic home, but we're excited because we are growing now. So we're creating a larger Base and actually a tea factory where we'll be able to um, not only blend larger quantities and have variety of packing options available for us, but we'll also be able to co-pack for others. So that's um, our growth and that's our next step um, in um, our company's growth. So we're currently working on that. So that's exciting and that's going to happen next month. Also here in Macon. So how did you get into the tea business and become an entrepreneur? Um, it was kind of by accident. And um, I there's two stories. So we have a romantic version that I'll be happy to share with you. And we have the real version. So the awesome romantic version is that I got a degree in alternative medicine. And I learned about all of these beautiful Ayurvedic um, and um, Western herbs, and I wanted to share that with the world. And so I created these teas and um, with my husband. My husband is, I'm gonna mispronounce it, but whatever, he's a sommelier. And so we ended up cupping the herbs and we focused on flavor as well as wellness. And we created these beautiful holistic blends. That's the romantic version. The real version is that I was dating my husband and we were both, um, we met when we were later in life. So I already had a career. He had a career. He does hotels. And I did, uh, uh, I worked in advertising and marketing. I was a digital producer. And um, my job was okay. I mean, it was, you know, fun, but it wasn't the most fulfilling thing. And he asked me, like, I think on our first or second date, well, what are you going to do with your master's degree? And I said, I don't know. And he said, well, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. It'd be really fun to create a product. And um, that was kind of the start of it. And so we started to research products and I really loved um, creating these teas. And he's like, well, why don't you just create teas? And I'm like, I guess. And that started the long process of researching how to create a product, how to source. And I learned about sourcing and we talked to different co-packers and it really was a long process of several years of just finding the right people and gathering information and just kind of going step by step. So it took us a really long time to actually get a physical product. And, you know, I was still working, having babies along the way. And it really wasn't until it got to the point where I couldn't really do anything else with my career. We had moved to a place where there weren't really any agencies specifically for me to work for that I was, and then I had my second kid and that kind of pushed me into, okay, well now I need to create something for myself and I need to decide that I'm going to just do it and I'm going to sell it and it's going to be a business. And it really, life kind of pushed me that way. I can't say it was like a decision that I made. I think it was like trying other things and struggling with other things and not having them click with finally me taking the leap of faith. And that was it. It wasn't, I don't think there was really any one thing. I think it was just a series of many things and just the path my life took that forced me into it. And that's the same thing also though. It's weird. Like we were working with a co-packer in Seattle, perfectly fine, nice guy or whatever. However, every single time, like we'd send something up, there'd be an issue. Well, you know, I, you have to wait six weeks. Well, dude, you told me on the phone three weeks. Now I'm waiting six weeks and I have to fulfill an order. Like this is not going to work. Well, you know, my machine's down or, you know, I have tins on back order. Why don't you just order your own tins? Great. Well, now I have to source and order tins. And so, and then we started mixing our own herbs to send up there because at first he was even doing everything for us. And then he's like, you know what? I can't mix it. My mixer's on the fritz. Well, now we have to figure out a way to mix it and we're investing in a mixer. So it really was a slow path into now 
we have hotels and we want to create this awesome environmentally friendly package that's totally biodegradable, how do we do that? Well, we got to do it on our own because the guy that was doing it for us is no longer doing it. So kind of those steps slowly forced us to really look into purchasing our own machinery, making that investment. And as we make that investment, we now need to branch out and, you know, to not only hotels, to maybe convention centers too, to sell them tea as well. Because, you know, now that we have this product, we need to make sure we're running the machines, you know, enough. So it's just kind of those things that have led us to where we are today. And um, every single time I do it, like building out this factory, there are so many numerous things that happen. And I want to say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. This wasn't meant to be. I, I just, I'm going to go get a job. And my husband's like, you're crazy. You have a job. Well, it's, I think it's frustrating. It's lonely because you end up working a lot by yourself. And that's for sure. And I don't, I, there aren't a lot of people for me to go. There's not like a, you know, a tea association. Well, there actually is a tea association. But not one that I can go to for answers. It's a lot of it is kind of figuring it out on your own. But the weirdest thing is, is that the more I do that, the more cool people I meet, you know, like, and um, you realize that a lot of times your competitor, not only is your best source for information, but they become like your friends. And it's like, you know what, there's enough success for all of us. And I think that's also one of the great things that I've learned about being an entrepreneur is that it kind of changes your view of success and it changes your view of what fulfillment is like it's weird how it does that but that's something that i didn't expect to happen from this whole journey so, so how old are your children what are i'm sorry how old are your children okay so i have um a two-year-old and a six-year-old and, and i have they're both girls and they're both like super um energetic let's leave it at that so um and they both love to help. So we try to give them like little tasks to help and we'll take them with us to like, you know, some of the smaller farmers markets and, you know, and, you know, and things like that. Um, my six-year-old is like, she's my, she's gonna be like the best salesperson ever. She goes to school and she'll literally bring tea to school for the teachers and give it to the teachers and be like, my mommy made this, my mommy made this. So it's great that she, that there is a sense of pride that she has in it. And, um, you know, I think that's important. I mean, I have a sense of pride in it because, you know, people ask me like what, you know, they'll say, oh, I'm drinking whatever tea. And I'm like, what, what? No, you have to be drinking our tea. And I'll go like, not only are herbs organic, like they're beautiful and it's, you know, so I think, I mean, I do really believe in my product. I wouldn't, invest so much of myself in it if I didn't um there's other great teas out there too you know it's not you know I don't have I don't you know have the only great product but I would say that we really do believe in our product and our family does and it's great to watch the kids get into it as well like that's been a, a part of it however I will have to say that you know I mean there's challenges too like I will have to run off this interview to go pick up my two-year-old from school. And then my day is done till about eight o'clock. And then I will start to work probably from eight until like one. So, you know, I think that I do put in a lot of hours, you know, but I'm lucky enough, I'm fortunate enough that I can get her from school. I mean, that's a huge thing for me. And so how does that, do you feel that it's hard uh, having a family and trying to run an entrepreneurial business? I think it's hard, but I think that's one of the reasons why we have to get the kids into it. Like, because I feel like if my, and my husband too, like, I mean, he has a regular job and, you know, he's the reason why I'm able to do this. And I'm thankful every day for that. But he also is like, I mean, he's my number one cheerleader and he's so supportive and he'll come at night and we'll sit in the commercial kitchen and we'll just label tens, you know, for hours. And I think it's, a time it allows us time to kind of spend together but it also allows us to co-create together and there's nothing that i well i can't say that that's a lie i would say there's nothing that you know i have going on that he doesn't know about but i don't think he even knows that i'm doing this podcast so yeah there's tons that he doesn't know about but i would say the important decisions you know we talk about just you know and we you know really collaborate on so i feel like i'm not alone in it at least in the decision 
portion of it. In the execution, it's 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 usually on me. But um, so I am lucky in that sense. So I think it's brought us closer together as a couple, just because we feel like we have something we're co-creating together, which I know is like a super kind of fluffy term, but it really does feel that way. It feels like this is like something that we're creating together. And the kids are involved too. Like I said, you know, my six-year-old is all about pushing the T. So. so Andy, you've mentioned several times about your children and you've mentioned the, how beautiful your product is. And one of the things I would love to have you talk about is your packaging. It's absolutely gorgeous. So if you would take a second to describe it for everyone and kind of tell us the story behind it. Okay, so that's a great question. So our packaging is a fairy. And um, we, <laughs> I don't remember, like it must have been, I don't know if we were married or I was, it, it was early on in our relationship. So it must have been like we just got married or something. And, um, you know, my husband thought I was like the cutest thing ever. I don't know what he thinks now, but you know, this is BC before kids, you know? And he, and so um, he's like, you know what we, what would be awesome on the packaging if you had like, you know, you on the packaging. I was like, yeah, not so into that. But I said, you know, it would be cool if I had like a tattoo artist do like a cool tattoo image. So I went on this like weird site. This is like, I don't know, 10 years ago. I think it was called like Create My Tattoo. If it's not called that, let's pretend it's called that. And um, I like hired these like random tattoo people to kind of create tattoos for me, this tattoo contest. And this one woman did a tattoo and I spoke to her and I told her my needs and I really needed it, you know, not as a JPEG drawing, as a vector drawing. And so I worked with her and a couple graphic artists and we turned her tattoo into the vector image for the labels. And it just kind of started growing from there. I mean, it took us a while to get the labels right. Um, I would say it took about almost a year, but that's also because they're complicated in the sense that I had to have a new, uh, well, I have a nutrition, uh, a food, a nutrition panel, well, supplement facts panel on the back and stuff like that. And I had to work with um, somebody to get that right. But I mean, it took a while for the labels for sure, but um, it was just like a fun process. And now, I mean, I love it. I feel like it's, you know, definitely part of our branding and I get comments about it all the time. Good comments about it. Well, it is awesome. I absolutely love it. And I think that it does a lot for your brand. And I can imagine having two little girls that they would love it as well. They do. And I think part of our brand, when we were thinking about like this whole thing, like in the very beginning, I remember Roland's like, well, what kind of tea would you want? And I'm like, I would want like a kind of like a, a, a really fun, whimsical herbal tea. Because I guess I feel like, you know, most people think of herbs as so, as medicine, like it's something you have to do. And because I guess I was just immersed in the world of herbs, I always thought they were just so magical. And so, you know, it's, it was such like a gift from mother nature to us. And so I really think I wanted to have that translate, not only in the label itself, but also in the blend. So we created our blends like really holistically, like the blend that I'm entering in flavor this year is called um, Memory Magic. So it was initially called Confidence, and then we kind of revised the name. And that's actually something, too, that, that I think is super important. I, I'm going on a tangent, but I promise I'll come back to the, to the naming of the teas. But um, is that we, when we first did the teas, I don't know how many people I made, literally made. I'm like, I'll make you dinner if you try my teas, and you write down notes on it. And so I had to, like, bribe people to try them um, because I really wanted to make sure that they were right. It's like, I may think that they taste good, but I wanted to make sure it had mass appeal, so to speak, because if I'm going to sell it, you know, I, I needed to make sure that not only would it work, but that, you know, it tasted good and it had all the elements that we wanted. So I did do that. And we did a lot of farmer's markets and we still do farmer's markets and I still get feedback. And sometimes like, I'll feel like, oh, that feedback was kind of crazy. Like I'll have people say, oh, you should do a tea for, you know, uh, veins and my veins are popping out and I want a tea for that. And I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. But there have been some great things that I've gotten, you know, in terms of, you know, you should rename that tea. And so we did. Confidence was the tea. Everybody loved the tea, but it wasn't translating. It was a little too 
almost like holistic in the fact that, well, what does it help me with? I'm like, well, it helps you with memory and it helps you with focus and it helps you with, you know, overall kind of mood. And they'll be like, well, why don't you just call it that? And so we changed the name to Memory Magic. And it's actually one of our best sellers now. And it's so weird how, you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, of course you would get what confidence means. But, you know, again, it wasn't translating. And so we did change the name and it's been it's been a really good thing for us for it. So that's just like, I guess, in terms of feedback and the fact that like sometimes you get like such random feedback, but I always put it in the back of my head because, I mean, that's my customer. That's who's going to buy it. And so I think that's, something really important to kind of note because you get so it takes like I said it takes so long to create a product and you get so attached to it sometimes it's like you got to step back and just like kind of soak in what everyone else says and that process for us too was a long process and a long learning curve because it's helped a lot with sales and I wish I knew in the beginning not to take it as criticism just to take it as I guess just constructive feedback, but it did hurt in the beginning when people were like, oh, this tea is like, tastes like dirt. And now when people say that, I'm like, nah, not your blend, but we have tons of others to choose from. So it just helps me guide them, which is interesting that now I look at it differently. But um, I was gonna say, I totally see, I said I was gonna come back to it, but I totally forgot what I was gonna come back to. Well, it's, how, it's how you came up with the names for your, uh, oh, your yeah. teas. Yeah. So, okay, so one of the things, like, I got a degree in alternative medicine in home, it's specifically in homeopathy, but, and um, everything is kind of looked at very holistically. So it's like disease kind of starts from, I guess, like the mental, emotional realm and kind of trickles down until it manifests into like whatever a specific ailment is the gist of what they kind of say. It like starts from the bottom and goes to the top, kind of is how they look at, I guess how disease progresses. So I felt like when we were starting and creating these teas, I'm like, you know what, the best thing to do would be to kind of have these teas, quote unquote, correct or holistically fix, you know, in that emotional realm versus waiting to fix something from a physical realm. So I don't have a sore throat tea and I don't have a like that lady keeps on telling me every single time I see her some vein, you know, tea for, you know, popped out veins or whatever, but we do have confidence. We had a tea called inspiration. It's now called endurance. We have love and laughter tea. We have worry-free tea. So I think all of our teas are kind of more holistically named and focused. And when I did the blends, I really tried to kind of focus on that element with the blends. And that kind of makes our tea a little different than maybe another medicinal tea that just focuses on a sore throat. And so we'll, that was and we'll say this again, but just so the audience can see as you're talking about this, what's your website so they can look at it as you, you talk about it, and then we can keep talking about it. I want them to see it as well in your logo that we just talked about. Yeah, it's baronetees.com. It's B-I-R-O-N-T-E-A.com. T-E-A-S. Whoopsie. T-E-A-S.com. Tees. And so what are the different categories you sort of break up those teas in and then how you name them? I, I do want to continue that conversation. Okay, sure. So we started with these herbals. And then, as I mentioned, there were several customers who said, well, you know, I don't drink herbal tea. I only drink black tea. And I'm like, okay, well, it's a shame we don't have a product for them. And honestly, like, you know, as I was reading up on black and green teas and as more and more research is done, I mean, tea in and of itself is an herb as well. So we have our herbal teas, which have no, technically no tea. And then we have a few blacks and some green teas as well. And then we have what we we call, I call a traditional herbal. So we have a chamomile apple pie tea for the people that want a chamomile tea. And then we have, it's called a honey bush. It's um, a rooibos, which is also, it's an herbal tea. We have a peach um, honey bush. And then we have blacks. We have an English breakfast and we have an Earl Grey. And then we have some fun ones. So we have like a pink pepper citron black tea. And then we have a fun green black blend. We have a magnolia tea. And um, we have a cherry blossom green tea blend. All of those are regionally specific. So our herbals are kind of more holistically health oriented. And then our blacks and greens, we try to focus on them regionally. 
So Macon, Georgia has this cherry blossom festival. So we had to create a cherry blossom tea. And then the same, like a peach tea, we're in Georgia. So if we didn't have a peach tea, they might kick us out of the state. I don't know. <laughs> I but we did kind of like, you know, we did a peach tea. And um, the magnolia tea actually was requested from a hotel, had asked us to create this magnolia tea. And we created it. We're still working to refine it because it's super expensive. So we want to make it, you know, more along the lines of our other tea pricing. But um, we have it as well. And then we have, um, we're working on a pecan tea because, again, we are surrounded by pecan farms. And, and you know, it's so easy to source pecans to put in our tea. And so um, we're working on that too. But, I mean, there's like um. I think working locally has been great, A, because I know these farmers, like I know the people at the pecan the farm. So why wouldn't I want to use their, you know, their products? So I think like that's part of our um, thing with the blacks and greens is that they're regionally specific. I believe you have to probably uh, pronounce it properly also for them to not to kick you out of the state. Because I know here in Colorado, we say pecan, but down there well, in Georgia, everyone says pecan. pecan. So That's right. It is pecan. That's right. Um, and, you know, you're allowed to come and visit and mispronounce it, but you're right. If you live in a state, you can't. But yeah, thank you. I, I mean, like, yeah, I, I mean, I, it's, um, I think that, you know, that's kind of like, I guess, how we differentiated. So we have the herbals and then we have the others that are more locally inspired, so to speak. So you talked about the flavor of Georgia. Has that been a major, as a, it's a contest in the audience for those who know, for food entrepreneurs in the state of Georgia to submit their products to and be uh, judged in various categories. Um, so has that been something, I believe this will be your third year uh, entering it, but maybe you've entered it the years before, but I've seen you the last two years when I was a judge. So has that impacted you and how has that helped you and, and how is the state of Georgia in those type of endeavors such as Georgia Grown and things like that helped you? So I would have to say, like, it's interesting. And um, do you want me to, I'll, I don't know, like, should I be honest? But I mean, basically, yes, like, honest. here's the thing. Georgia, Georgia Grown has been great. And I think, I mean, there's so many it just really created a community. And I do think, you know, like I said, working by yourself, struggling every day, kind of, you know, waiting to see those profits, which you do. I mean, when you work with like, even we have a, you know, we were able to get into Kroger through Georgia ground and some of those local programs. And so I'm so thankful for that to help us. And it did help us launch and get some of these bigger, bigger, players to notice us for sure and that's been huge and um also like i said it did create a community for us and it there's people that are part of georgia ground that i would say i talk to if i need something like even like there's a distributor so like should i you know sign up with this distributor or should i use this broker should i go through you know should i try to be in whole foods or not like that these are questions that i ask myself you know all the time because you don't realize that, you know, it's not just a matter of like getting the contract, there's fees and there's this and there's that. And, you know, I never know if it's worth it or not. So I will always reach out to other Georgia grown members that I know have kind of followed the same path as me and ask them like, you know, what they thought about, you know, their partnership with, you know, the larger big boxes. That's been a huge thing. And that's been part of Georgia ground. And um, I would say also the department of ag has been incredibly helpful. We are actually building our our factory at, um, it's the Macon State Farmers Market, which is owned and operated by the Department of Ag. So yeah, I mean, they've been super helpful for us from everything from like allowing us to um, rent space there to using like, they have like a pallet jack. Like there's just a lot of things that they're helping us with that, you know, as a small business, we just wouldn't be able to do it without those, about those resources so that's been huge and so they have also allowed us to grow i would say um i think that there's things that the georgia grown movement does that we probably are maybe moving away from um like they do a lot of um I don't, I don't, markets i guess is the best way to say it so and i think that we'll probably not do as many georgia grown markets primarily because they're just not re they're not big revenue kind of 
boosts for us, I should say. And it takes away, like it'll take out an entire weekend of production. And for us, you know, with little kids, it's, you know, getting someone to watch them. Like, and, you know, unless I feel like I'm going to make it worth my time and money, I'm not going to do it. So there's the markets from Georgia growing that we're not doing probably as much this coming year. Um, and that also kind of, well, it's going into flavor. So I wasn't sure if I was going to do flavor this year. I was really on the fence about it. And I actually just did it today while I was waiting for you guys to get the court. I finally entered the flavor contest and I don't know why I wasn't into it. Like it's part of it is that I'm so overwhelmed with building out this factory. It's literally causes me anxiety and sleepless nights. You know, it's just such a large investment and I'm dealing with customs and just machinery that I'm just not a mechanical person. So, I mean, I think that's so overwhelming for me. That's part of it. And I think the other part of it is that, you know, we were the last, the first year we won and we were like, it was awesome. It was a total boost for us, for our ego. It also helped kind of let me know, like, you know, this is right. I, I am right to do this. And I think flavor helped me just with my own confidence. And then last year it was okay. It was a little bit of an effort for us. And I think that's kind of like maybe why I was teetering, not because we didn't win, just because it was hard for me to get somebody to watch the kids. And it was kind of a scramble to get up there that day. And that's kind of like a weird time for us because Cherry Blossom Festival, which is a big thing for us, is at the end of March. And so I just think there was so much preparation going on that it was, you know, the timing didn't feel right for us last year. And so that's maybe why I was teetering on doing it this year. And I felt like we had already made the contacts. Like it, it, the same people do come to that contest. However, a new food business, for sure, they need to enter. I think it, you have to do it, I would say. After the second or third year, I don't know. But I'm going to do it this year just because, honestly, I really want to see my friends. And I love seeing my friends win. And it's fun. I mean, that's why I'm doing it. I don't really care if I win or not. I mean, I feel like I'm going to know most of the people there, including the vendors, the judges and everything else. So for me, it's just going to be a matter of like just seeing my friends again versus networking this year. So, but I'm doing it. Yeah, I agree. It's a fun event. And I think it's a, it's a great event for food entrepreneurs to get their feet wet in, in the state of Georgia and sort of perfect their products and perfect their advertising and their sales pitch as well as get feedback on labeling and, and things like that. So oh, I have a few questions on, um, and we can get to both of them. My first question is, is how did you market and advertise and grow your products to, to where it became its own business, where you were able to get to the factory, uh, build your own factory? <laughs> um, I feel like a lot of it happened kind of organically. Um, I, it's the whole entire irony of the, the, so basically irony of the entire situation is that I do have a background in working for marketing and advertising firms, but I did production. I never really did social media and that's my hugest struggle. I, I'm just not great at it. And I would say social media has been my biggest struggle and it's something that I know that I'm going to have to pay somebody to help me do. So that's something that I'm struggling with now. And um, I, I do want to, I do like online orders that I think for any food business, especially if you're starting that kind of, it helps a lot just in terms of overall sales. So that's something that I, I haven't been great at. Um, however, we have been really good at um, doing a lot of um, events. And so we and demoing events, I'm, follow-up and networking, I think, have been, you know, also good for us. I think a lot of it is just, I don't know. I mean, I, we had the product. We started really literally going store to store, and we really researched and made sure we were a good fit for the store, too. Like, I'm not going to walk in, like, and you know, to any grocery store and, and ask to speak to the manager. We went, our first, I think the first place we went into was Fresh Market. We literally walked in, and I took my product. And I had like a little gift bag and I went to speak to the manager and I'm like, listen, you guys have to have this tea. And he liked the product because, you know, my wife's a big tea drinker. I'm like, okay, I want you to try it with your wife and I'm going to come by next week. 
And I made a note and I went by the following week and his wife had tried it and he's like, yeah, we really like it. And I said, okay, how do I get my stuff in your store? And he told me, he said, this is the person you contact at corporate. And I contacted them and she didn't get back to me. And I contacted her and contacted her and contacted her probably once a week for about eight weeks. And finally she said, fine, send up a sample. And um, I sent up a sample and we're still not in fresh market. And so, however, um, I think that, you know, doing that, I just started reaching out to other stores. We reached out to smaller chains that we just knew were into local and, you know, holistic and that kind of stuff. And we just started. And um, that's kind of how it happened. And then once we were in one store, I would do a little social media push and I'd do an e-blast and, you know, we'd ask to do demos. And when I would do demos, I would get, you know, a bowl and, you know, for drawings or have them sign up for our email list. And it just kind of started doing it almost, like I said, like, it's like a door to door salesman. It's literally how we started. And, um, it grew, I mean, that was like about three or four years ago. So it hasn't been that long, you know, if you think about it in those terms, however, when you're doing it, it's grueling and it feels like it's forever. So I do have to mention that, but looking back on it, I would say we just kind of ended up really just doing little festivals and focusing on the smaller shops and really focusing on customer service too. So if we were in a store and I still do that here, there's a couple little local gourmet grocers. I went into one literally yesterday because Valentine's day is coming and our love and laughter tea is a great tea to push for Valentine's day. So I literally said, when can I drop off a craft and I'm going to do a special sign for you. And that sign is going to say, you know, get your love and laughter here at its village marketplace. It's a cute little store up the street. And I said, I'm going to do a special signage for you. And I'm going to drop off a craft. I'm like, when are you going to start pushing Valentine's day? And he told me when, and I'm like, okay. And I said, where, where can I make me a space that I can put my little sign and craft and I'll stack up the teeth. He goes, okay, you come in Saturday. I'll have the space for you. I'm like, good. And that's literally how I do it. I just kind of like either will email people and let them know I'm coming and make sure that I just pop in for that face to face. Or if we have a new product, I'll go drop it off and I'll be like, you have to try this. Like, this is amazing. And they'll be like, all right. And then, you know, I'll follow up a month later. I'm like, did you try it? Did you try it? You know, and I think it's just that kind of attitude, like, you know, kind of like that puppy dog in the face that allowed me to get in some of the stores. So do you do it on cosign then? And then as you sell it, they pay you or it, it varies by the uh, supermarket or market you work with? So, oh God. Okay. So my husband has like arranged some of these co-signing deals. Um, we have one deal where we do con consignment and I don't, and we sell tea there. I'm not going to say we don't sell tea there and it's for a, a, they have a chain of stores and um, I don't love the co-signing deals just because it's a lot of work for me to keep up with it. So it just becomes a paper trail and keeping track of how many they had in stock, how many new, how many they sold, how much they owe us. And then we have to drive down and deliver it to them. And it just becomes a little bit of a hassle. So I don't know how much money I make from that deal. And um, that's been a big issue. Usually I just do wholesale and I'll sell them a small amount. So we have a couple stores where they're like, well, I don't want to do a case of six of each of them. I'll do three of each. And I'm like, okay. And I just think having that flexibility helps with some of these really small stores, especially like they're starting out, they're struggling. So I'll do that. Or I've done other ones where I've offered to buy it back. I'm like, if it doesn't sell in 90 days, I will be back here and I will buy it back from you but it always sells. So we haven't ever had to do that, but um, I've done that too. And they'll be like, okay, if you're going to buy it back, sure. I'll give you some shelf space. So we have kind of done those um, deals too. I think Deborah has a question. So I wanted to ask you about, you know, I keep hearing you talk about different things that you have to take on and whether it's building out your facility or creating your own brand and working with a tattoo artist, all these different things. I mean, this is the commonality of all entrepreneurs is you have to kind of be the jack of all trades. And so one, how long have you been in business? And two, have you guys started taking on any employees or is it more just outsourcing expertise? 
So that's a good question. I wish I could say we've taken on um, an employee and I think it'll probably be next year is we're looking, um, we projected that we'll need an employee. Um, however, right now it's just me and I ha do have help. So I have a broker who helps me manage the distributorships and the big boxes. And she's amazing and I love her and um, she's been a great help. And so she helps there. And then I'm trying to think like, I have other people, I have ha have hired other people to help, um, especially, especially in like the big box and distributor areas. Um, just, I would say like there was this one guy and he helped me figure out the back end of Kroger because a lot of these portals and entering your stuff and getting your systems up to par is daunting. So I have hired help there too. Um, we have, I have hired other people. I mean, I've hired like, I mean, friends and, you know, kids to help Tim. Like when we have a huge order to tin tea, I have people that I'll pay to help me tin the tea. I've hired photographers. I'm looking to hire social media help. Um, and so I have a photographer and he's going to, we're going to be doing some videos and, um, things like that for social media. And so he'll help me edit those. And we're talking to him about that. So that kind of help I've hired. So uh, I guess, yeah, I mean, I think in those things, it's just, you can't do it all. And I'm not a videographer. I, like I said, um, social media is hard for hard to keep up for me. Um, I'm trying to think like, we have, we have, and we are, well, I mean, we'll, we hire, we're hiring an electrician to help us build out the facility. We're hiring somebody else to help us also kind of build out the facility to make it fit the equipment. So yeah, contractors and that kind of stuff too. So uh, t tell us about the factory. How big is it? Um, what do you, what is the capacity you expect out of there? And, and, and I assume you do all of your own logistics and delivery as well and we'll do it out of that factory. So how is all that working? And, and, you know, tell us a little bit about that and the, the hardships that so have come we, with it. Yeah. So, oh, well, actually, oh my God, I have an amazing story to tell. Okay. Here's like the perfect story that literally sums up the entire entrepreneur experience, but I don't want this to turn anybody off, but it's just the reality. So, um, I, as part of this machinery, we have, um, I have a bagging machine and a machine that does these overwraps and the overwraps have a lot. You have to put a lot code because the government requires it and lot of, yada. So I had to get this huge industrial printer to put these little baby lot codes on my overwraps. So the printer's like 10 grand and, um, this whole thing came down and basically they had to send the printer to the address that's attached to my DUNS number. And that's something else that every business, they know they got to get the DUNS number. So they sent it to our UPS post office box. I wanted them to send it directly to the factory, but they want it. So they sent it to UPS. I went and I picked it up. It barely fit in my car, but after like kind of squeezing the box in there, it fit in the trunk of my car and it weighed a little over 60 pounds. So I drive home and it's pouring rain. I mean, pouring rain. And I couldn't really carry it by myself to get it into the factory. So I drove it home. My husband comes home at like eight o'clock at night and it's still pouring rain. And I said, Roland, I don't know. The printer's still in the back of my car. And he's like, well, you're going to have to keep it in the back of your car because it's going to rain all night and you'll drive it down to the, there tomorrow. And you'll have to get somebody to help you get it out of the car and carry it to the factory. I said, fine, whatever. Okay. I go to sleep. Five o'clock in the morning, my husband wakes me up. Andy, your car was stolen. They stole my car with the printer in the back. No. I cannot believe it. So now I am oh, dealing with insurance companies finding a replacement printer. I'm like, this is, and we've never had any problems in my house. I mean, we live in a historic neighborhood. It's unbelievable. So yeah, they stole my car with the printer in the back. And that is, so now I'm having to get a whole new printer and research the whole printer because I need to get it quicker than I got my last printer. So I'm having to like switch companies and dealing with insurance 
because uh, it was insured. So I'm seeing if they'll pay for it. But I mean, like, this is crazy. I'm having to get another loan to get to pay for this printer. So yeah, I mean, these are things that I just feel like maybe this wasn't meant to be. And I told my husband, maybe this is God's way of telling me we shouldn't have a factory. Like what's going on? Oh my God, why is the universe doing this to me? Like that's literally what goes through my head pretty much 24 seven. However, I know in reality, and this is the way I have to look at it because otherwise I'd go insane. Like I know in reality, it's just something that everybody goes through. It was a total circumstantial thing, but it is allowing me actually the silver lining. I'm talking to a whole new printing company and we're getting it cheaper but I think I'm going to get a printer that's going to allow me to do more and grow with me a little bit more than the other printer because this printer can do images as well as lot as the new printer I'm looking at can do images as well as the little barcodes. So, you know, maybe whatever. Maybe I wasn't supposed to have that printer and I just have to move on. But those are kind of like, you know, things that happen that I'm just like, I, I, I don't know if I can go. I don't know if I can do it. But So you know, did they like, ever find the car or the printer? Yeah, they found my car, but not the printer. So the police oh, called us, and they called us, and they said, yeah, your car is located at Macon and Sharon Avenue. We're calling a tow truck. I'm like, oh, no, no, you're not calling a tow truck. And I guess said, Roland, we're driving down there. And we drive down to the hood, and my car is literally parked. I mean, it smells like, ugh, it's horrible. It smells like pot. It's parked in front of a drug house, and I'm, like, using the key and opening it up, looking in the car, and the printer isn't in there. I'm like, fine, take it away. But, yeah, they never found the printer, and our, my car was totaled. It was, uh, it's actually sad because it was an awesome car. But, yeah, so. Uh, what, what kind of car was it? A four-star. <laughs> a Subaru, huh? yeah. I so someone stole that. your car, but they really wanted the printer. That's a, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting thing, I guess. Who would try to sell a printer on the second market? But I guess maybe there's people out there that would buy it. I don't know. I, I don't know if they knew it was a printer. Like, I don't, I don't know how they could have known. And we actually, I mean, I, I don't, I think I don't, I've, I've racked my head over this. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so, but it happened. So what that stores are you available at and, and how do people get your product? Uh, you said online, I heard you say they can go to your website and order, but do you, what stores are there available and, and are you only in Georgia or how has your footprint grown? Um, and how well, do they get your products? That's a really good question. So we're trying, so that's our next step is we are in Georgia. We're in the Georgia grown Kroger's in the Georgia grown section, but they have four of our teas. So, um, all of our teas are available online. And actually, I just refreshed our Etsy. Is it Etsy or Etsy store? Um, online, too. So you can order it there. Um, how? Um, and then we are available locally through a lot of gourmet um, stores, too. So that's also more in, you know, some places in Atlanta and Savannah. We're in the Beaufort Farmer's Market in Atlanta, which is a super popular place. In Savannah, we're at Lucky's Market at a store called 24E, which is downtown, um, close to SCAD. We're in Macon, at, like the Village Marketplace, and we're in a lot of stores. It's all listed on our website, where we sell. Um, however, we are working with another local distributor, so I think we really want to venture out all the way to Nashville, I think. So I think that, you know, we're looking now at Charleston, and we're in a little store in Charleston, and we're really working with, like I said, a distributor who helps us, who helps us sell as well to some of these places outside of Georgia. So, and we're talking to other big boxes, stores as well, and um, that could help us expand outside of Georgia. So, um, do you have a broker then as well that helps you get into these places, or is it all your own work? I do have a broker, and I love her, and um, she's been amazing. And she helps me, A, she helps me because I think part of it is that I don't know how to speak their speak. I mean, honestly, there's so many acronyms and like FOB and I'll text her and be like, F-O-Y? And she'll help me like figure it out, you know? And so it does help even, and she does help tell me who to call. A lot of times, like I said, like we're doing this Whole Foods application. So I'll do the application and send the samples, but then I'll 
ping her and be like, have you heard anything? Can you follow up with her? Like, aren't you guys buds? Like, can't you like, you know, find out what's going on? So she does because she talks to them regularly and she has other clients that, you know, are in Whole Foods. So she's there. So I'll ask her to kind of do some of that follow up for me. And then she'll push our product as well. Like she'll say like, well, have you even opened their sample? Like, what's your problem? And so she'll kind of nudge them. Yeah, you're, you're, I'm, it's up to you, but you're welcome to use her name and put in a plug for her if you think she's that good to help her out. That's why, that's why we do this podcast. Okay. So her name is Darla Davis and, um, she's awesome. And the weirdest thing is I've never even met her, but we have awesome phone conversations. So, um, and she's with, I think it's like called Double D Specialty Food. So that's her, um, which is also awesome. That double and tundra. Yeah. That's her, um, it's double D specialty foods. And I think she, I don't know if she has a website, but I can look it up now and find it. But anyway, that's her. Okay. Well, we'll make sure when we release the podcast, I'll put her information in there as well. Just since we mentioned her on the podcast, if you want to shoot me her, uh, her internet or website address when we're done. So, um, so, um, how are you setting your goals for the future and what goals do you have? I mean, the factory is a big undertaking for someone to do obviously. And is that, to, to handle the growth that you're having? Is that because you want to get more control over your product quality? Um, you know, give us sort of as an entrepreneur, we, we always are chasing different angles and pivoting and chasing different rabbits down different rabbit holes. So how have you gotten to decide to do the factory and how have you, um, made the goal so that factory could actually prosper? So that's a good question. It's, I wish, I wish I had all of the answers for you, but basically we had to do the factory cause we were just pushed into it. Like I said, we were working with a co-packer and his timelines kept on increasing and then really, um, his availability of what he could offer kept on, you know, just kind of dwindling and, you know, he would t- get, I guess he would get more clients and then we would get pushed to the back of the line. And so I think we knew that, we couldn't be profitable when so much of our money was going to a co-packer, not if we wanted to grow the way we wanted to grow. So that's the first, that was the real honest push is that when we crunch the numbers, he's making more of a 10 than we are like, that's crazy. And so I think that that was really one of the driving forces too, just in the fact that, you know, we had to wait so long. So it's like, wow, you know, I'm having to wait so long. I'm having to deal with this. I'm having to, you know, now source my own stuff anyway. Like, why am I dealing with him? And I think that was kind of like what pushed us. And not, like I said, he's not a bad guy. He's just doing his own business and we were just outgrowing him, so to speak. So that's kind of what happened. Yeah. In the, in the the co-packaging world, we see a lot of that and, and we do a lot of co-packaging ourselves, but we have found that the partnership and and making sure both parties are profitable is is a big deal. A lot of these co-packagers or suppliers or distributors take more money than the person actually inventing the product or producing the product in food service. It's a, it's a crazy system how much money ends up lost along the way in the beginning or the farmer or the person actually producing it doesn't end up with the money in their pocket. And it's definitely a system that needs to be improved and definitely why individuals such as yourself go to self-production because it just becomes more economical. That, that's right. And we had a few things with um, quality control, I would say. And, you know, it's like, again, I mean, I get it. Like we're, he has other customers and whatever, like I said, but we had, we had, it's like, basically we had tea come back and it was like, you know, all the fruit, like we have, we mix in fruit pieces with our flowers. It's like in the chamomile, there's apple pieces. We got back a whole box of tea of just the apple pieces i'm like dude where's the flowers like where's the like whole health benefit of this tea like i can't sell it and he goes oh yeah you know oh well we didn't have time to really mix it well before i'm like why would you do that so i think that was shall we say the last straw and um i just knew that he was and again he's busy and it was a time thing on his end i mean you know, he just wanted to get it back and get it back to us. He really wasn't concerned about, you know, making sure that the tea had the medicinal, you know, element that it needed. And so I think that's 
kind of was part of it as well, for sure, quality. And, um, you know, I think here's the thing, though, as well. We talked to him about what machinery he used. He was very transparent and open with us about, you know, the elements he did. And so we knew exactly what we had to buy um, after speaking to him. I mean, we did our research. There were a few competitors, but there's not a huge amount of competitors. Literally in the tea industry, there's two places that make tea bagging machines that are reputable. I mean, so after speaking to those two companies and going through that process, we knew who we wanted to go with at the end. And um, I think that was made it easy as well. We didn't have a hundred that we had to sift through. There's two that we can choose from. So that I think also helped us determine that it was time to do it because we knew who to go to for machinery. I think that's a valuable... With that being said, are you guys open to co-packaging for other people now that you have your own facility and there's only two other co-packers? Um, well, there's two machinery manufacturers. There's like about five or six co-packers in the United States. There's still not that many that do these pyramid bags for full herbs. However, yes, but I, and this is actually, I should say that when I think about, like I think about my beginning relationship with our co-packer, it was actually really sweet because, you know, we were such a small company and he was willing to do these really small runs for us. And I think because he was starting out and I think that like, you know, really helped us move forward. And so we decided as well that we wanted to offer our services to smaller companies. So, yes, we are going to be co-packing in the beginning. I want to help like these artists and team brands because I don't know, I just it's our sweet spot and it's what helped us grow and i mean as a co-packer you definitely want your people you're co-packing for to grow because you know if they don't grow then you don't survive on that co-packing income so to speak but um you know so i think that we really want to focus on artisan we want to focus on small quantities we want to focus on being a more full service solution too because that really doesn't exist as well and i think that you know that's going to kind of set the apart a little bit from our competitors and yeah they can do the big boys all day long but you know i do i still have two small kids that i want to pick up from school so i think that you know we know who our target is in terms of co-packing and we have you know which allows us also a little bit when in terms of marketing to those people we can advertise on etsy i'm you know there's these coffee and tea shows that we will go to and you know hand out cards and things like that so we have targeted on how to kind of move forward with that and in terms of our growth and you know once we get this machinery how are we going to make sure that you know we can sell enough product to keep them running we do have sales plans we have targets um on what we want the it's not coming easy i mean it's like i said it's definitely coming with a lot of work and it takes probably i would say six months to a year to close one of these contracts too it's not an overnight thing and I think that's also something that you have to think about. Like, you know, I can walk into Fresh Market. I'm still working on Fresh Market. And that was three years ago. And that was like our first, like, you know, door that I knocked down. Well, probably three and a half years ago now. So I think that's, you know, also something to keep in mind. It's like, there's still a prospect and I'm going to get in that store. I know I <laughs> I am. love your tenacity. And so, yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, you just have to look in the fact that like, even not that they say no, but even though the process is long, you just got to keep at it and it'll happen eventually. So I think one of the things that, well, I have a t couple takeaways that one is, is that in the food world, it takes a long time and a lot of tenacity and grit to just get your foot in the door anywhere. It's not all of a sudden you put your product on the internet and it's an overnight success. That's my number one. My number two is that you really have to find a co-packager that's willing to work with you and stays true to your model and, and your quality and the quantities you need, you know, just cause the co-packagers like buy a pallet, that doesn't mean that you need to buy a pallet. You need to stay true to your business model and not, not sink too much money in. And then three, I think for someone, it's good to do that because learning from co-packagers and learning um, how to do the product, if you want your own factories and to vertically vertically integrate, it's very important for you to understand the process as well. And you can't learn the process and go out and build a brand at the same time. So the co-packagers, even though sometimes they're difficult, they're um, 
they're necessary in building your brand before you do vertically integrate and you get your feet underneath you that way you're not spending money on a factory and um and your brand but i you know i think what you're doing is amazing i think that building the factory and offering it for other people and helping other people grow from your experience i mean it, i don't think that'll uh hurt anything i think if anything it's going to help you grow and learn from each other and create an environment where artists and t come together and even maybe you know market together and use each other's channels and when you have a group of people in a team after the same thing you obviously prosper more so i'm not sure if um if that's what you're we're aiming at it sounds like it but um do you feel that um you've met people in the tea world or in other parts of georgia that have that have helped you um through networking get into stores and and grow your business and learn from each other oh yeah a hundred percent and um i do like i'll ask all the time like i'll if somebody says like yeah you know i'm in whatever store it is you know and i'm like oh my god yeah like that place is amazing how'd you get in there and they'll be like oh yeah talk to so and so and i'll be like okay and i'll write it down or people will say to me oh there's this awesome little store on you know there's you know a random place on amelia island and i'll be like oh who did you talk to to get into there and so all the time and i love sharing that information some people aren't as um you know open to sharing but for me i'll always ask and I'll always share because I don't know, it makes me feel good. Like when I can give that information to other people. And I think like one of the other things that is like weird, and this is, I don't know if I even mentioned this, if I did, whatever, edit it out. But so basically um, what it is is that when I first started, like you're first like out there and you're like peddling your product and whatever, you're like, okay, I gotta get in. I gotta beat out the competition. But I think it's like I've changed my mind on like this whole element of like success. Like it's not like success is like this finite thing where only 10 people can have it. There is enough success for everybody to be happy. And I think when you like think of it that way, it's like, oh, my God, like I can be happy for my friend's success because like now like i get giddy when they're like oh my god i got into this blah 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 i'm like ooh, you know and it makes me like so happy when they're successful and i guess because i could feel like i remember you a couple years ago when you couldn't you know you didn't even know what you were going to do with that product and now this is awesome and i think like it makes me like then kind of get the juices going into like well what should i do next like they did that that's so awesome how can like i do something like that so versus being like, ugh, well, whatever, you know, good luck to you. Like, I just, it doesn't work that way. And so I think that like, when it does come to networking and sharing, like, of course, like whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to tell you who does my tins. I'm going to tell you who does my labels. Like I should say, Genflex does my labels. They're amazing. And they're a local Atlanta company. And my rep is awesome. And he has helped me so much with labels and everything. That's somebody else you can put in there because he's amazing. Well, uh, give so, us his name and, and the company again, please. And yeah, I, will, I will. Uh, I'll put his he, stuff in the, uh, in the podcast notes. Yeah, I will. He does all our labels and he's just been like really, he's given us great pricing and he's just been great to work with. And labels, like I said, are pretty daunting. So, but I mean, you know, I'll share anything because... Uh, and I'll ask anything. People will get offended. I'll be like, oh, well, where did you get your tins? Like, your tins are awesome. Like, your tins are better. And then a lot of times people won't share, and that's their prerogative. But, you know, I would say that most of the people are really excited about sharing, especially within the Georgia Grown Network and that whole, like, you know, food entrepreneurial area. I know that's why we call ourselves food service partners, because I feel like partnerships and, and helping each other grow is uh, there's a little bit of karma in the universe and it, it does come Absolutely. back and help you. So um, what was his name again in the company uh, for the labels? Just so it, I go ahead. His, his name is Jeremy Florence and he's with Genflex. It's like, I think G-E-N-F-L-E-X and he does labels and he's in Atlanta. He actually does our case boxes too. Okay, perfect. And I'll make sure I put that information on there. Um, I, I have a few more questions I'll get to really quickly because um, we're, we're coming up on an hour here. Okay. But um, the um, 
You know, how do you manage your customer relations? Is it something you do over the phone? Is it email? Um, how do you manage those to, is it something you check in on every week? Because I think everyone struggles in food. They have a great idea. They have this great food product, but they don't know how to manage the customer relationships, especially after they get the first one. They sort of just think, I've got my product in the door and it's going to sell. How do you um, sort of massage that relationship and make sure it continues successfully? I think that's a, I it's I think that's a hard question to answer. I'm going to answer it, but I think it's hard because everyone's different. So I can't say like there's like a oh and this is what you should do, because like I said, there's certain people that I'll stop in on. I'll literally just like run in the shop and just be like, okay, well I'm just checking your inventory, and you know I'll look around and I'll be like, well tell me what else you have new, you know, and I'll just kind of you know do that kind of thing. Or like I said, there was that guy that I asked him, it's like, okay, what are you doing for Valentine's Day? Like, like, I want to push this love and laughter. I need to get it sold for you. And I think those kind of relations, that's what I'll do. And then there's other people that if they're not local, you know, I'll just email them. I'll be like, hey, you know, uh, and, you know, do you need any product? And they'll be like, no, we're good. I'm like, oh, that's a shame. Like, tell me, how do I help you? Do you want some signage? I have testers actually this is like a great example. And this is another Georgia grown company and they're amazing too. And they're in Statesboro and it's big boy cookies. Do you know who they are? No, I'm not familiar with them. Johnny and Hannah. I'm going to have to get them on this podcast. Oh my God. They would be amazing. Oh my God. They're so cute. Okay. So anyway, they have like this great little cookie store and, um, they, you know, they, pro- oh, actually, they would be really good. Never mind. One, anyway, so I, they were having this event actually today. I think the event's today. And she said, I need some love and laughter for um, Valentine's Day. I said, okay. I said, how are you doing on the other 10? She was like, yeah, we still have them. I'm like, you know what? I just made these testers. I'm going to send you up testers. She's like, oh my God, that's so good because Ginger from Back to Basics and Laura from, she does, um, Oh my God. Uh, this honey, she's They're going to be doing like kind of a little, little I believe it's HL Franklin honey, isn't it? HL Franklin honey. Yes. HL Franklin honey. I'm so sorry. And I No, you're good. I spaced on the name HL. They were doing a little, so she was inviting two other companies, local companies to do an event at her store. And, um, she said, you know, can you come up? And I'm like, Oh, I can't come up, but I can send these, Um, samples up and what you can do is you have everybody smell these teas and if they smell them they're gonna buy them and I want and I'm gonna call you I'll call her tomorrow and see how they went but it's just things like that and you know I'm able to give her something and that she's able to get excited about the tea again and now she's gonna put the tea out front and center with these little samplers while they're doing their thing and so it's just I guess kind of also working with the shop owner or whoever sells your tea to make sure that you know you're constantly giving them fresh ideas that you're working with them that you're helping them with events and just more as a partnership versus just like a vendor sitting on the shelf waiting to be sold so that is something else we do like we you know like i said last year we had a lot of these uh po these point of sale little pieces that we were delivering and sending with teas and sending up to stores and that you know this year we're doing samples and you know we'll have to think of like fun little things to do in the future but you know just as a way to kind of get them reinvigorated because honestly and we do tea tastings too and educate the staff that's huge if the staff does not know about your product they are not going to sell your product and when you're not there you have to rely on those that staff to sell your product so that's also a thing i should talk i mean we do education and sales and tea tastings for staff all the time I think that's hugely important is you want the people that are in the stores every day and face to face with their customers to understand the product. And the only way you can do that is actually spending time with them. That's right. And building a relationship with them and and connecting with them on a human level for sure. And if they see a face behind it, they are, they're all the more um, encouraged to, to push the product and motivated to push the product. Um, Yeah. So, um, as we sort of wrap this up, um, when is your factory opening? Um, and when is it already open and, uh, and how long before you'll be pumping tea out of there? It, they are coming to set it up. 
um, this last two weeks of February. So they're coming from Japan with the machine. The machine's supposedly here. I don't know. I guess in customs somewhere. But they're coming um, at the end of February to set it up. And then hopefully, as of March 1st, we'll be up and running. And um, we'll have, I'm hoping, several large orders and POs sitting there waiting for us to kind of crank out. And that's been the goal. So we've been working with our broker on that. And, um, you know, we'll see. That's, I, it, it has to happen. I, it's just, it's going to happen. March there 1st. You go. Well, thank you so <laughs> much. Right. We are so excited for your new facility. And it's been thank a pleasure you. getting to hear your story. And thank you for sharing with us. Yep. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and I'll send you over all of that contact info. That's awesome. But before we go, can you, um, if people want to get a hold of you, can you give us your email address, your website again, and your social media tags so people can reach you on there? And um, before I go, um, I wanted to thank you, Andy, for joining us and, and being a part of this. It's, it's really pretty amazing. So I, I thank you, and I love your energy, and I love the, the product. Um, tried it a few times and um so with that um please give us your information so the audience can can hear it okay so our website again is barontees.com b-i-r-o-n-t-e-a-s.com i'm andy at barontees you can always email me i'm very good at responding or you can always email me through the website too um, we do email blast with specials. So make sure if you go to the website to definitely sign up, you don't want to miss all my awesome e-blasts. And then, um, it's at baronetees.com on Instagram and Facebook. I guess it's there too. I, I guess it's baronetees, um, on Facebook, or it might be Barone Herbal Teas on Facebook. That's how Facebook oh. literate I am. I think it's Barone Herbal Teas on Facebook and at baronetees on Instagram. Okay, I'll make sure it's clear on the uh, the episode notes. Okay, sorry, I wish I knew. It's okay. Uh, it's yeah. it's okay. They now attach to each other, so no one actually knows the difference anyway. Um, okay, um, good. And again, thank you. And I apologize about mispronouncing your your mm -hmm. last name at the beginning of the show. So I wanted oh. to make sure I said that, and because it is the name of your company, so I I, I will. I, it's, <laughs> it's Barone. Fine. It's fine. So um, there's that. It's all good. And um, I, if you guys, if anyone in the audience would like to reach me, my email address is justin.bizarro at gmail.com. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O at gmail.com. And you can reach us on Instagram at Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs. Uh, again, that's Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs. And thank you again, Andy. I I'm, believe we're probably going to have you back on the yeah. show. You've been great. And we're going to want to know all about that factory here in the next few months. So we'll be reaching out to you again well, soon. Sure. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye. -bye. All right, bye. bye.